This is Beyond Your Limits with Rob Dubois. The podcast that helps you destroy self-limiting beliefs, unchain your potential, and create the meaningful life you were made for. And now here's your host, Navy SEAL founder of Impact Actual and the Impact Unchained course, Rob Dubois. When I was arrested for drunken criminal behavior yet again back in May of 1991, I thought my life was over. I'd been in and out of jail, destroyed every relationship, ruined my health, and lost almost every job. This time it wasn't the local cops in California or Texas or Florida who locked me up. It was the Navy itself. My career was definitely on the chopping block this time. I was pulled in for captain's mass by Commander DeLore, who, by the grace of God and his own good wisdom, saw some flicker of redeemable quality in me, and he said he'd take a personal hit on his own career if I blew this chance because he was making a judgment call to let me stay in. That was the beginning of what has become 30 years clean and sober, by the grace of God and my own willingness to do what's right to stay healthy. Along the way, I became a dad, a SEAL, a business owner, and countless other blessings I never could have known otherwise. When I set out on the path of traditional Japanese jiu-jitsu, I was told that my eventual black belt test would require me to manage ki, or energy flow, to get kicked in the nuts three times and not fall down. I jokingly declared early on that I would be content to only ever become a very, very senior brown belt. But the day came, and it turned out I was prepared. I had forgotten to bring an athletic supporter for that test, and so everything God gave me was hanging free inside my gi. It didn't matter. I had done the work. I'd been open to the possibility of the impossible being possible, and I passed with flying colors. Even better than my instructor, who told me he had collapsed, vomited, and then had to keep going. If you know much about me or my career or the SEALs in general, you won't be surprised to learn that I've done a lot of things people might assume to be impossible. I've learned that it's only through a firm commitment to myself and a belief that I can be better than I am today that makes anything possible. And that's why the very first task of our 12 tasks is commit to growth. Three points I want you to take away from this are you have to commit to. You have to commit to being better than you are, and I want to unpack that a little bit. I want you to understand that you deserve to be better than you are. You deserve to have more than you do. A lot of us, I'm the champion for this, hold ourselves back. We do sabotage. We may be moving three steps forward, but we'll put an obstacle in our way and stumble over it or fall back a couple steps. The commitment requires an understanding that it's okay to keep winning. It's okay to keep moving forward. You have to believe it's possible as a second point. That means even if it's hard to understand that you can move above where you are, become better tomorrow than you were today, it's important to try and believe that. Find that sense of belief. And then you have to stay open. Once you've committed, once you've established the belief, you have to stay open to it and just keep walking. There's going to be good days and bad days. There's going to be days when it seems impossible to move forward from anything in a relationship, your career, my job that I almost lost, my groin that I almost lost. The things that we put on the line, I want to go to the master of this concept of paradigm shift. Stephen Covey talked about paradigm shift back in the day. And he says, whether they shift us in a positive or negative direction, whether they're instantaneous or developmental, paradigm shifts move us from one way of seeing the world to another. And those shifts create powerful change. Our paradigms, correct or incorrect, are the sources of our attitudes and behaviors and ultimately our relationships with others. In other words, what you see, what you believe to be true, becomes true. Henry Ford said, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. I am really sincerely, deeply grateful to have as our very first guest in episode one of Beyond Your Limits, a dear friend of mine, longtime supporter of me as I am of him, and a living embodiment of the commitment to growth. Michael Osterlink has been exploring the relationship between post-conventional living, transformational leadership, optimizing health, and regenerative paradigms his whole life. His interest in human growth and personal development began when he was nine years old and worked with psychotherapist Pat Lawson learning biofeedback, meditation, and guided imagery. In the late 90s, he received his master's degree in transpersonal counseling psychology from JFK University, and he completed postgrad training in somatic psychology from the California Institute for Integral Studies. I could keep listing his tickets, or I could simply introduce the man and let him tell you about himself as we unpack this incredibly important, incredibly important lesson on committing to growth. Michael, welcome aboard. 
Thank you, Rob. Rob, the uh, testicle story was new to me. <laughs> I did not know you had to take a hit to your nuts a couple times for your black belt. That's pretty intense. Three times by a senior oh instructor. God. That's pretty hardcore. And let me let me let me unpack that. I'm really glad you you raised that issue. Uh, I was getting hit so hard. They had to put a fellow student behind me so I wouldn't fall on my ass when he kicked me. I was being lifted off the floor. But again, it sounds impossible. But what we're talking about here is in a very strict, very old school Japanese dojo when we really believe in ki and really manipulate ki or chi for the Chinese perspective. It, it really is true. It really is possible. Sorry, that was a great, no, no. Uh, a great uh, uh, little caveat. You know, it's really interesting, Rob, because um, I think your 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 sensei is old school, obviously, and and I've been really fortunate because I've trained in multiple multiple different martial arts over the past forty some years, and I've had some very conventional American based instructors, meaning like they're fearful of being sued, <laughs> so they tame things down, and then I've had really old school uh, instructors who you know their their interest is really to cultivate your your you know your soul your spirit in many different ways through physicality, you know, mental, mental uh, and emotional trainings and such. And I've also done Krav Maga and Haganah, which is, you know, reality-based hand-to-hand uh, -hand combat systems. And I much prefer the old school or the, or the reality-based combat systems to the Americanized version of the martial arts, which is way too tempered and really doesn't help cultivate these capacities, which I know that are really important to you. But I must say, in all my years of training, I've never had to be kicked in the nuts intentionally three times. I'm very impressed with that. <laughs> Usually I have to pay for that kind of behavior. <laughs> yeah, in San Francisco, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there are special clubs yeah, for that true. kind of thing. That's very true. Yep. As you're saying, with the, the school or the discipline or the tradition that doesn't challenge you at your utmost is – when it waters it down, and I completely understand as a business owner, you have to you have to be very mindful of getting sued and losing your business. It's a precious thing. But Mr. Miyagi didn't give a damn about losing his business. Mr. Miyagi was a humble worker of some kind, and he taught Danielson how to do everything he needed to do because he wasn't squeamish about exposing all of it, the, the truth and, and the hardship and the waxing on and waxing off. Um, we lose so much when we do the watering down. We, we in life today, we water our life down with Xbox and lattes and fluorescent lights and neckties. And by watering our lives down, we lose that visceral sense. Um, we're going to have a, a, a very good friend of both you and me, Michael, Erwan yeah. LaCour, for our uh, episode on nice, body, nice. talking about building your body. Um, and this idea, as he's been living his entire life, you know, at the outer boundary of his life of of his physical capabilities jumping from rooftop to rooftop as a, as a teenage boy in paris running barefoot in the rain and the snow uh, living at full volume in our capacity stretching those limits because we don't have to we don't have to endanger our lives to grow but we do have to push ourselves beyond comfort and a lot of things like i don't even want to call it a particular school or tradition but there are martial arts schools today that are based on rank sales yeah yep, selling yep. ranks they might have 30 belts, 30 belts. In my school, we had uh, five. And in many schools, there are, there's one. You you wear your white belt until it turns black, basically. And then you're a black belt. You, you'll appreciate this. That's the, where the value yeah. comes. Um, so I, I spent about five, six years studying Krav Maga. <clears throat> and then I found Haganah, which you can consider Haganah as like Krav Maga on steroids, which is pretty intense because Krav Maga is pretty intense, depending who you train with. And when I first walked into the dojo, first time ever there, I walked up to the instructor. His, his name is Master P. And I was like, you know, tell me more about Haganah. Because I figured you'd just share with me the philosophy and how they train. Struck me right here in the, in the perfect place. And, and <laughs> 30 seconds, I'm like just this because, you know, the, the nerve plex just really throws you. And I'm like, holy uh -huh. shit. So it took like 30 seconds for me to kind of get my cognition back and get my feet underneath me. And I'm like man, I want to study with this guy. <laughs> and, and then my next thought was like, he's insane. Cause I didn't sign in, you know, a waiver of giving him permission to strike. Right. I didn't really care because I wasn't going to assume, but like, that's pretty ballsy for him to do that. And that's the kind of martial art I want to train in. It is, it is intense. Exactly. Yeah. It's very Zen-like in the sense that the lesson comes in a, in a movement, a gesture. You know, you always hear about the Zen teacher hitting a student with a stick. 
and say, learn the lesson. But teacher, I was asking about, you know, the best way to make bread and you hit me with a stick, but you have to understand it by unpacking it. You have to, as you, you understood instantly what he meant. The entire message was in that one blow. Like, do you want this or not? And you knew instantly the answer was in, yes. In my teaching, I make a distinction between um, grandfather Zen and grandmother Zen. And I, and I think both have an important place to play in our society. And I, and I like the grandfather Zen because you, you actually hit someone. It doesn't have to be, it could be metaphorical. You actually don't have to hit someone to wake them up you know, to break them out of their trance. And then grandmother's end, the way I like to think about it is like, you can hold them. You have care and compassion, not through, not through struggling through their ignorance, but through like the heart in a, in a certain way. And that can also open people up too. And I think kind of integrating both grandfather and grandmother Zen paths can be useful. And I find that in our culture, and I completely agree with you. And I think Erwan is a great exemplar of it, that as Chris Ryan said in his book, we're civilized to death. You know, we are way too comfortable in multiple areas of our life, and our health is reflecting of that comfortableness, or the lack thereof, I should say, of our health, generally speaking, as a society. We medicate ourselves for things that wouldn't have to be treated in any way if they were being, if we were living in a more natural way. Hmm? A lot of our conditions, a lot of cancers are caused by our lifestyle. Not everyone. Not, I'm not going to be the beat the drum and say, "Oh, well, we're so wicked these days." But a lot of a lot of it points directly to nutrition or lack well, thereof. We don't sleep. We don't eat well. We don't have good social connections. We're poisoning our environment with environmental toxins and pollutants. I mean, I think there's a research study from EWG, which is an Environmental Working Group. I read this is like early 2000s that the placenta they, they removed the placental blood, you know, the placenta between the baby and the mother. And they found, I think it was like 93 or 98 neurotoxins and cancer-causing chemicals in the placental blood, which, and you can imagine like a baby doesn't have the capacity within a developed immune system to deal with that, but we're just poisoning ourselves that way culturally, mm -hmm. globally, really, because we're doing it all over the globe, not just here in the States. Right. Toxins are being shared with other countries that wouldn't otherwise generate them because that's where we're doing the manufacturing or the, uh, the extraction uh, for for, for, for uh, materials we need to make our unhealthy lifestyle to sicken ourselves. Yep. Very true. How does a person continue to grow if they're being constrained by exhaustion? Just to pick one of the things you, you gave as an example, I want to commit to grow. I believe it's very important. I want to be, I, I, I like to use a mirror as a scenario. I'll say to, uh, into a client, so they say, "I want to, I want to um, kick uh, ass. I want to, want to be a butt kicker." I say, "Cool, I can help you be a butt kicker." Hold up the mirror and say, "Here's your competition." Yeah. Let the person soak that in and say, "Oh, that's it." Oh, I mean, in a way, it's simple, and in a way, it's challenging because I don't want to change my ways. I don't want to stop doing the lazy things I do or the unproductive or ineffective habits I have. We call in impact. We call it unhabiting. Oh, nice to unhabit. Yeah. is to let go of something so you can re-inhabit the behaviors. Which, you know, Destroying self-limiting beliefs and behaviors is the entire foundation of impact. Destroy <laughs> self-limiting beliefs and behaviors. We take away the, the beliefs like I've lived with for 55 years, and I know this intimately, and I've been re revealing or peeling away layers of my own self-loathing, my own lack of love and respect for myself, many of the things that held me back, like I talked about in the alcoholism, that was a, a slow suicide. That that lifestyle of addiction was a slow suicide. It doesn't mean that when I, when I put the plug in the jug, I'm suddenly fixed. Now I got to deal with all the stuff that led me to the slow suicide, all the inner stuff. Um, there's childhood trauma involved. Uh, we'll talk about these things in the future in other episodes. But the reality is we, as I said earlier in this session, we deliberately obstruct ourselves. We hold ourselves back. This to pick one of your examples out, like a lack of sleep, another area of my wrestling with myself to get back to the eight hours that I've almost never done. How does a person follow through on their pseudo commitment to growth if they're if they're living in a, a latent deficit of sleep and working on 67% functionality? Yes, and I think that's the key one to start with, you know, because I, I used to think, oh, people just exercise, people just worked out, everything would be okay. But I'll, I'll, if you look at the research, I think the sleep is the most important thing that if anyone wants to start dialing anything in, I'll say sleep is it. Because within just 24 to 48 hours of poor sleep, you're already, you're already showing cognitive decline. And within less than a week, you're already having immunological deficits. 
And you can imagine that's with, you know, within a day to a week, most people are years and years and years of deficits. So they're just setting themselves up for a wide variety of, of you know, uh, lifestyle induced diseases, cancer and heart disease and other types of things like that. And, and I completely agree with you. There are other factors that contribute and, and maybe causal agents for cancers, heart disease besides sleep, lack of sleep. So there's multiple different factors. I, I don't think you can just nail one thing. However, I would start with sleep. And what I usually have my clients do is, you know, is start creating sleep rituals is the first thing I have them start thinking about. Sleep rituals, are, okay, what do you need in terms of your, your environment to, to induce better quality of sleep? Well, you know this. You don't have your cell phone in the bed with you. Don't have your laptop in the bed with you. Don't be watching TV. And if you're going to do these things, you can wear the, the, what is the blue blocker light glasses to reduce the 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 assault that causes from the blue light on your melatonin production so you know you can we can reduce the negative consequences of using the devices in your bed and then here i mean this is i have my sleep mask to keep out external light we have blackout blinds to keep out external lights from the outside of our our condo here um <clears throat> so other parts of sleep ritual is is i teach meditation i think a meditation can be a really good tool depending on the type of meditation you use to kind of kick go from the sympathetic activated state most people are in all day long and hopefully kick into more of a parasympathetic activated state so they're more relaxed one of the tools i encourage all my clients to use is a is a app called onvana o-m-v-a-n-n-a it's a guided meditation tool and i love it because you can choose from probably about 50 to 60 different types of meditations now it's not meditation in the classical traditional sense of like what's the nature of reality and getting to know your mind you know, that kind of that kind of original intent behind meditation. But this is more like guided meditation for the benefit of very particular personality shifts or improving your health and well-being. And, and there's different programs with the Anvana system that, I, you know, any client would choose based on what they're trying to work on. But you I think it's important to create some kind of sleep ritual to get you get your mind and heart and body in the right place. So you then you can get a good night's sleep and to make sure the, the sleep hygiene is good for a good sleep. As a first step, and there's a lot of other pieces, but let me just stop there. Well, you mentioned something so standard in American society as the TV in the bedroom. It's so normal. I mean, we a lot of us like to have that TV up on the wall, watch our Netflix till we fall asleep. Myself, not included. I prefer to keep a, a TV out of the bedroom. I have to, uh, you know, in in every family, in every couple, there's a discussion to be had there because that's not necessarily the case with my my partner. So we have to find a happy medium and I have to do, like you said, consider the blue blocker uh, glasses, uh, other things I can reduce screen. And I just, I generally limit all screen time for an hour before nice, bedtime nice, anyway. Nice. Yeah. Just don't yeah. do it uh, as a goal, as an ideal. And that's the key to growth. In my opinion, the ideal is where we're headed. There's an amazing book. I just read it and shared it um, with a client who is devouring it and applying the concepts in his own life. It's called The Gap and the Gain. The Gap and the Gain is a very, very simple concept that all of us are on a trajectory. We believe we're going to become a doctor or a husband or a seal or something we're going after. We're going to lose 20 pounds. Whatever the envisioned goal is, we set our sights on that. We set our time frame as we're as disciplined as we can be for you know, we talk about the uh, SMART goals, mm -hmm. right? Is it specific? Is it measurable, et cetera? We're all, all people tend to be more or less disciplined about their goals. Some people say, I'm going to make a million bucks and take no action to actually make it happen and wait for God to drop that million bucks on top of them. And it almost never happens as far as I know. But people will set this goal and they will work toward it. I'm going to lose 20 pounds. And then they'll eat some more yeah, carbs yeah. or whatever it is that they're trying to, to eliminate or to change, to unhabit, to unhabit themselves so they can re-inhabit, put in habits that are more effective. And they don't get where they want to be in the time they want to be. And they focus on how far away the goal is. That's called the yeah. gap. Mm -hmm. the, the gap to the goal is the focus. The gap... Uh, is is a negative perspective. The gain, as these authors are talking about in The Gap and the Gain, the gain is a very powerful motivator, uh, propellant, in fact. It's nitrous oxide for your, for your life because when you focus on how far you've come from the starting point when you set that goal, it suddenly changes the paradigm 
for the goal setter, for the person trying to accomplish something and says, the person will say, wow, look, I, I didn't get to my goal, but I'm look how far I am from my starting point. Right, right, right. That focus right, is right, incredibly right. powerful. I love that. Gap in the game. Yep. So I look at ideals. I like to set an ideal as being my goal and my goal will be unreachable, God willing. I don't want to have a smart goal in the sense that I will lose 20 pounds or I will become a seal. I want to have a goal that's like I'm going to be this range of things across my physical, mental, emotional, and ethical lives, my body, mind, heart, and soul. I want to have this this perfect person, an avatar, a Rob avatar. Uh, now, he will he will be six foot four and he'll have lots of thick hair, but uh, <laughs> these are things I understand are helps to stay unattainable, right? It doesn't mean I can't have other goals in that avatar. That ideal toward which I'm working is uh, is a chance to constantly improve my gain perspective. Say that again, David. It's a chance to continually improve my gain concept, to look back and see how far I've come from my starting point. You were about to say something, Derek. Yeah, no, so I, I, I really love that. I love that concept. I think it's, um, it, it's very supportive of where people are and where they could be, as opposed to like looking back how far I didn't, you know, like instead of, being very judgmental and harsh on themselves because most people seem to be, and that doesn't really get them anywhere. If it did, then they'd be different people than they than they are. I love that concept you laid out, but I'll, I'll, I'll add two things I think are really helpful to that. One is what I call environments of excellence, and the other was is communities of practice. And I'll lay both of those out. Before I do, let me I would be remiss without plugging Dr. Kirk Parsley. If anyone's interested in learning more about sleep and the importance of sleep. Uh, and you know Kirk, he's a former SEAL, he's a medical doctor, and he, his primary focus is on sleep. Google him. He's done a lot of interviews, and he has a little book out, too, I think you can get on Amazon, all about sleep. So I'll put that aside. As a matter of fact, Kirk <laughs> and I have talked about his being uh, in my book on the subject of sleep. We'll be talking under my upcoming oh, nice. book, uh, Untitled. Nice. Uh, we're going to be talking, I'll be interviewing him, and also having him on the podcast in the future oh, so good. we can start unpacking these incredible concepts. Because as you said, it is the easiest thing. We talk in impact about SEAT, S-E-A-T, sleep, eat, and train. That simple acronym not only captures all you need to do for your physical wellness, which ex it expands into and has heavy influence on your mental and emotional functionality, both of which have heavy influence on your ethical life, what, what choice you make about who to betray and who not to, if not to. Uh, but the sleep is the first because sleeping, as somebody said, you can't, you can't uh, out-train a shitty diet. So eating is, is before training. Sleep is first. Like you said, it's yeah, free. It's yeah. training you can do right now today, uh, tonight, anytime you want to, if you just make the plan to do it, to get serious about it. And people say, I haven't got time to sleep. Well, there are a few exceptions, a few, granted. Uh, young parents have a lot of burdens, working, double working family and so forth. Yeah, yeah. But in almost all cases, that's a terrible excuse. Choose to sleep. Stop excusing. I had to let go of a young man just this week that I have known him for a long time. And he says, oh, sorry, I didn't show up on time for our session. Um, yeah, me too, because we're not going to talk again for a couple of months. If you sincerely want to work with me and, and get mentoring, you'll approach me again in two months. And you'll be very fucking mindful about what I'm offering here because you're showing disrespect. And I'm not trying to do this from a matter of from a perspective of. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, okay, I'll quote South Park. You respect my authority. I'm yeah. not coming from that perspective. I'm coming from honoring and loving him. I'm giving him a smack in the head. Like you said, yeah. with the grandfather yeah. Zen, yeah. I'm mm -hmm. slapping him and saying, listen, listen, dummy, get your shit together and then reapproach me. Because if you're serious, I will spend time. I'll invest so much in you. But if you're not, I'm not going to throw my life away. There's a lot of people that need help, including me. I care for me too. I love that, Rob. That's uh, I'll have to sit with that because that's it's been a challenge of mine as a coach and therapist as well. Um, you want to give it all away, don't you? We all yeah, do. Yeah. yeah, I. That's my tendency. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sorry. Uh, Go ahead. You were talking about. Yeah, that's so cool. So, uh, environments of excellence, communities of practice. Two factors I think can be really helpful for changing behavior or creating new habits environments of excellence. So what I encourage people to do is either the via negativa path or the via positiva path is to look at their environment, home, office, and, tra and transportation, their car, vehicle, whatever it is, and ask themselves, do those three places support their new habits or detract 
from the new habits. So for instance, you know, you, if you, you have a client who eats a lot of sugary snacks and they're trying to watch their weight and improve their triglyceride levels and all, whatever they're trying to do health-wise, and you ask them about, you know, what's in their home or their office and, and they have a bowl of, you know, M&Ms their, on their desk. Okay, well, they're, they're wasting a lot of willpower points and there are only a select number of them, although you can build more over time, try not to eat something in front of them. Well, the via negativa would be like, just remove that from as a temptation from your environment. So you want to look at your environment and say, what is in my environment is not supporting my new behaviors and remove that. That's a via negativa. And you also can ask, what do I need to add to my environment to support new behaviors? And it could be, you know, I, I get a Peloton bike, so I start biking. I have my running shoes by the front door so I can jump, put them on, and I can go for a run. That's the via positiva stuff. If I'm a meditator within this particular spiritual tradition, you know, maybe I need the icons from that tradition. You know, maybe if I'm Catholic, there's some saints that are really meaningful to me or the Buddha, if I'm Buddhist or whatever your trip is. You know, so you have those things as constant reminders of the path that you're on. So I think it can be really helpful to have via negativa, removing things or via positivity, adding things to support behavior change or, or new habits. And then the communities of practice. And, and this is this is I think is really important. And I know both you and I share an interest in Tony Robbins. You know, we've, we've done his, his trainings. And I always think, wow, you know, I've talked to people who do that really cool weekend workshop. And, they, you know, Sunday night they're home and they're a hugely new person and they show up for work Monday. And their old self from Friday before the long weekend reemerges because the, the new state has not been stabilized as a stage for them, right? One way to help people to stabilize a new insight, a new opening, um, is to have a community around them that supports them in their new behaviors or new ways of being in the world, their new habits. And it could be their spouse, it could be their friends, it could be their workmates. And the more people you can get to buy into the changes you're trying to make to support you, the better, because then it helps stabilize the change you're making and you get the good kind of the social ecologies that support the change over time. Because without it, it's, I mean, it's not impossible, but if your spouse doesn't support you and your workmates don't support you and your best friend thinks you're a loser because you're on this crazy path, it's going to be a lot more difficult to sustain the work, the disciplines, the practices over the long haul to change and to become who you want to become into the future. Not impossible, but it's a lot easier if you have that, that social support in your environment. You're otherwise you're swimming upstream because the, the force of the force of your environment is trying to pull you back down to where you were. You're a salmon fighting to the spawning ground, but there's no good point in it. You don't. The salmon has to be in the river. We can choose to step out and walk upstream, uh, and let the forces that are pulling us back not be around us. In I mentioned sobriety earlier. A lot yeah. of people listening to this are in sobriety, or they're uh, they're in recovery from addiction, as I am, or they're not. I know a lot of people who are in addiction and know they shouldn't be. They know they should make some changes. I hope they can hear this and. And reach out, reach out to me, reach out to you and, and look for ways to, to step out of it, like as, as I've done. Um, again, I mentioned earlier, grace of God, this is not a one-man show as far as my path is concerned. But one of the first things I was taught in my tradition of recovery is you only have to change two things, everything you do and everyone you know. <laughs> easy, easy day. <laughs> uh, it really is quite simple. Yeah, But it's a joke, obviously. I mean, it's a joking way of saying what you just said. You need to change what, you, what you're living in. What is your environment? If, you're, yeah. if your home does not, does not, is not conducive to the new lifestyle you're trying to establish, then make some changes in the home. As you said, the car, the office. David Allen, getting things done. Another one of my icons I look up to for productivity and functionality. He says, make your, make your home office like a like uh, Captain Kirk's control chair. You get everything. You get, and this is super nerd stuff we're talking about here. But have your empty file folders right there. So you can reach down, grab one, put a label on it, and boom, put the thing in it so you never miss it and lose it and misplace it. It's all about, as you said, you put your shoes by the door. He talks about putting the keys by the door. Things I don't want to forget to take out outside when I'm going to the office, but I want to run by the store on the way. I'll take the thing and put it by the door that I want to return. These are little tricks you can establish yeah, yeah. to create that environment of success, to, to create the thing that you – to create momentum in the direction you want for these outcomes you're seeking. I talked about my PTS therapist. I said, we, you know, 
It's not about good and bad. It's not about winning and losing, succeeding and failing. It's about effectiveness. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is what Stephen Covey talk, talked about in the, his primary book from 89. I want to dump in that real quick. There's a great quote in here. This is, again, published in 1989. Not all paradigm shifts are in positive directions. As we have observed, and I have to interject here, this was written in 1989, the shift from the character ethic to the personality ethic has drawn us away from the very roots that nourish true success and happiness. The character ethic, a man's word is his bond. I don't support your point, but I will, so I will what do they say? I will protect with my life your right to say it. Mm. That's what we were as a people. Now we're saying, screw everybody who's not in my camp, and uh, the world will, will be a better place for it. My country will be a better place for it if I screw over everybody that I disagree with. That is a shift, as Covey talked about 33 years ago, from character to personality, as in cult of personality. Our society, to quote the Joker, is in need of an enema. You know, we have – this town needs an enema when he's talking about Gotham. Uh -huh. we, and I, this is not a show about giving society an enema, but it is about individual responsibility, individual accountability, individual choices to be, to be excellent – to work toward goals, to work toward growth. And when we do that, we stop being a dick to other people. If our focus is on our own personal growth and, and the healthy path, we stop, well, in the case of jihadis, uh, we wouldn't want to cut people's heads off. <laughs> in the case of uh, uh, people in the street today, the bickering we have with hundreds of millions of Americans talking about our way is the only way, that's just not true. And if we open our minds to our own growth, we recognize other people are somewhere on their own timeline of growth as well you know one thing i like to add to that and i think that you could say this better than i could because this is what i learned from team guys you know spending time with uh, seals <clears throat> including yourself and and mark over seal fit and dan Cirilla and chris smith over at uh, spartan seven who i i work for both is i think it's important for you for you to have your eyes on yourself in terms of your personal growth and development but you also have you have to have your eyes off yourself because then it just becomes kind of this narcissistic trap. It's all about me and my own right. development. Right. And put your eyes on other people as well. So it's like this really nice balance between agency and autonomy of the individual and the communities in which you operate in. And, you know, how, how can you help towards your own growth and development? But also, can you, how can you support or at least create containers for the growth and development of, of, of those around you as well? And I think you guys, like you know, watching you guys, uh, SEALs, you know, having trained with you guys as a civilian, you guys are, are amazing at helping people who are very agenic, hyper-athletic, type AAA personalities, all about me and I can do it, I can do it, wake up to the fact that they're a member of a team. And you know, I've seen people just transform from the moment like they're just getting beat down on the on the beach as a civilian and part of the SEAL FED example. Um, and then it's one of the SEAL cadres and he's just going after them, after them, after them until they realize they're part of a boat crew in this case, you know, civilian boat crew. And and then they stop because they, they get it. And I think we need more of that. We need both autonomous, free, sovereign individuals who recognize their interdependence as part of various communities they're part of. That is such an excellent way to say it. And um, I think you did say it better than I can say it. I want to stack on that. Uh, we always talk in Impact Actual about this idea that it's all about you. And, and it can be misconstrued to me to sound like it is a, as you said, a narcissistic path. The reality, as we're saying it, is the unspoken extension of that is it's all about you so that you can be useful, so that you can make a difference so that you can contribute so that you can help others. It really isn't. I have a, an old meme from one of our retreats we did back in the Virginia woods uh, a few years ago of me standing by a buddy and, uh, and the, the caption was get strong. Why should I get strong? Should I get strong so I can be admired? No, get strong so you can be of use to others economically, physically, health wise, socially, emotionally, in all the different ways a person across body, mind, heart and soul can become stronger I insist that we must get stronger. And that goes back to the, the basic concept of today's, of the task of choose, I'm sorry, commit to growth. We have to choose this path, choose to grow. And then every day you literally can be 1% better. There's some really good programs based on the concept of 1% better because yep. with compound interest, you know, if every, every, every 100 days I'm 1% better 
uh, daily, I'm now 100% better. I'm actually 117% better or 100. I don't know the math. I'm, I'm definitely not the math guy. Uh, but if I do that three times in a year, 300% better is actually closer to 600 or something like that. It's immensely compounded to be have re-inhabited, to have put these new habits into oneself uh, after unhabiting, letting things go, destroying self-limiting beliefs and behaviors. That's something uh, I want to unpack real quick with you is the, the how many of your, how do you, how have you experienced with your clients that there is this unconscious sabotage? People are holding themselves back because they deserve to, maybe. Yeah, so I I've widened the the view beyond just self limiting beliefs, and, and I always, I like to look at culturally limiting beliefs, whether it's part of your religious traditions or ethnicity or nationality, family of origin, intergenerational. I mean, you can see what you might call negative behavior patterns transmitted down family lines, you know? So I think it's kind of important to have a, and yeah, I know you do this, but a broad, really broad picture because some of the forces you might be fighting against are less personal to you and might be more cultural or, or as I said, intergenerational in terms of your family lineage and, and such, um, which can be helpful to understand because then you can put your energies into certain things. And I'll, and I'll start my explain my answer to your question by stating this. I think, human beings tend to be conservative. And I don't mean politically. I mean energetically. Evolutionarily, we had to conserve our energy in order to survive over hundreds of thousands and millions of years in various environments. Part of that survival mechanism is getting into habits, uh, uh, behavioral patterns, which are automatic, and we don't have to think about, which allow us to conserve that energy. That's why we do what we do almost all the time. Now there's a small segment of people that seek novelty, that like new things, that like to explore, but it's a really small segment of the population. Most people are very happy with their habits daily of daily life. Okay. Which is, which is, you know, okay. I'm not going to judge them. I, I happen to find that less of interest to me. I like the novelty seeking. I like to try new things. But if in fact, what I said is true, that we tend to be conservative energetically what we then have to do is increase the amount of energy in our system, which then would allow us to put some time and energy into trying new things without the negative consequences of just pretty much exhaustion. Because I think our human system today, there's a huge mismatch between how we live our lives and how we design. And I don't mean design in the in the Christian sense of design, but in evolutionarily how we've evolved over time. Uh, and there's a mismatch between our diet, you know, our diet doesn't match is how we've evolved over millions of years to eat, our sleeping patterns, our our, our uh, community patterns. You know, we used to live in small tribes for millions of years or hundreds of thousands of years. We're not used to big metropolitan cities. We're not used to the technology we have. I mentioned Christopher Ryan and Civilized to Death. So there's a lot of mismatches in the industrial information age way we live our lives with our with our human systems. What we need to do is exactly what you do. Okay, let's dial in our sleep. Let's eat healthier diets based on our bioindividuality. You know, so a keto diet might work well for me. Maybe a Mediterranean diet works better for you. Maybe a paleo diet works better for someone else. And there's some really interesting epigenetic uh, testing you can do to determine what's the best type of diet for you at a particular time in your life. Cool, let's put that aside. Movement, which I make distinctions between movement and fitness. You know, fitness is like prescribed movement over periods of time, like CrossFit, Barre, Kung Fu, whatever it is. Movement could be going for a nice little walk out in nature, getting some fresh air and some sun, or maybe a little bit of Tai Chi or yoga. It's more like subtle movement practices to integrate mind, body, and spirit and with breath and movement. All that saying is if you start dialing all that in, increase your energetic levels, it makes it more not easy, easier than to put the mental and emotional and spiritual energies into behavior change. And we have to basically do that because we're to, I think we're at a crossroads in our, in our world, basically, not even in our country as we transition from the industrial age and information age. And we have, you guys call it the VUCA, you know, <laughs> these VUCA environments that we're dealing with, whether it's COVID or huge techno-economic shifts that are going to be happening. You know, half the jobs have been taken over by robots and AI. What's that mean for everyone who used to do these kind of jobs that we used to 
be pre-robotic in AI. Even as we increase our population, <laughs> yeah. we have yeah. more humans and fewer yeah. jobs for Resource humans. Allocation challenges, pollution challenges, global warming. You know, so there, there's some major uh, global challenges that we face as a species and actually as, as life on this planet, really, that I think we as a species need to learn to adapt internally so then we can be better prepared to deal with these changes out here in a healthier way. Because, and I think you and I have had this conversation years and years ago. You know, we, we have two options when, we're, when we face threats. Most people fall back into earlier, less evolved ways of functioning. Or you can evolve to new, higher-ordered ways of functioning. Now, unfortunately, my experience would suggest that most people fall into earlier, less functional ways of, of being in the world. Because that's what they're used to. It's safer. It's more comfortable. We talked about comfort. And a very small number of people actually say, here's an opportunity for me to grow and evolve. But we need more people to grow and evolve in order for us as a species to survive and deal with these major global challenges that we face. I find it interesting when I'm dealing with a client who is, like you said, most of us do not want to rise above. Most of us want to default. I'll step back. If I walk into the office and I say, good morning, Frank, and he says, what's good about it? I can choose to say, well, F you too, Frank. That's the, that's the step back, is it? which is very, very common. And, I mean, this is not a show about Covey, but <laughs> Covey is kind of like the featured guest star here. Yeah. Stephen Covey yeah. talked about the Frankel, uh, Victor Frankel uh, quote. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Listen and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose. And our choices lead to our outcomes. Whether it's an effective choice, I won't say good or bad, an effective choice or a less effective choice, we're actually – creating 99% of our outcomes in our life, whether it's cancer or car crashes or broken marriages or healthy 120-year lifespan uh, or no car crashes or amazing relationships. These are direct consequences of our choices, and our choices are every minute of every day. Um, you were talking about getting more energy, and it suddenly occurred to me as you were describing that, I've heard people, again, not a money guy, not a, not a math guy myself, but I've heard people who advise on money to say it's not how much you earn, it's how much you keep. And that goes to the money, the sense of how much money you have. The same could be said for what you described about energy is energy retention uh, because energy is wasted when I exhaust myself. Energy is, 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 is hot. It's hemorrhaging. I'm pouring off. I'm shedding. I'm casting away energy that I would otherwise have inside of me if I simply slept better when it's well, when I'm on that time. Yeah, no, and let me just add to that, and I know you know this as well. You know, if, if I'm repressing something, you know, psychically, or I have a lot of stuff in, in the shadow space, that takes a lot of energy to keep that down, repressed in the, in, the, in, the, in the human system, or to keep things in the shadow. I mean, and I'm sure you've had experience with the clients, and I know, I'm sure, I know you have, and I, and I have too, where they, where they, tap into like their shadow and they kind of bring light to that shadow and it comes to light and they heal that part of themselves. If you want to kind of use that language or they stop repressing certain emotions, they come out and they deal with them in a healthier way. And all of a sudden their energetic system shifts. They have a lot more energy because so, I want to be clear when I'm saying more energy in the system, I'm saying like caffeinate up. I'm not saying like, you know, drink, you know, like, <laughs> take Coke or something like that or meth. It's like, no, I'm talking like, you know, the the natural psychic energy that we have if we're not constantly fighting ourselves or we're trying to repress certain feelings or deny certain thoughts that we have or ways that we really want to be in the world that's the kind of energetic system i'm talking about and what i have my clients do is literally track their energetic systems on a daily basis you know when do they show up best for certain activities all things being equal you really can't do this if you're not sleeping well, you're not eating well, you're not training, you're not moving, because then you just feel like shit. And it's, you know, it's not, you're not at a healthy baseline. But if you had a healthy baseline, you start tracking your energetic levels. And then you organize your life as best as you can around how you show up for certain events on certain days, weeks, months, over the year. And I even have people like notice that, and this is Chinese medicine, you talk about qi and ki before, qi in Chinese, ki in Japanese, is that in Chinese medicine, it's seasonal. And in Ayurvedic medicine, the medicine of India, it's seasonal. You know, most indigenous cultures, you know, it's very seasonal. It's only in the West that we've gone linear and forgot about the seasons. Yep. But you know, you can track your energetic flows throughout any season, and it shifts. And then, then within that season, there's shifts. And if you can organize your life as best as you can within the obligations you have socially and with work, 
you'll just be a happier, healthier person. Go with the flow, naturally speaking. Yeah, yeah. Down That's uh, we we like in the West. We love to diagnose things and then treat them with chemicals, like seasonal affective disorder. What you're describing could be a basic human experience in winter for many people going down depressed in a depressed state, not necessarily sad, but depressing on energy, depressing on all conserving energy. A bear literally sleeps through the winter. So why couldn't we have a natural flow of being depressed on in a clinic, in a sensitive, uh, healthy way, Mm -hmm. and then reawakening with the spring seasonally? Yes. And it goes back to, you know, this isn't for this necessarily for the show, but we could probably have a whole conversation about indigenous wisdom, whether it's ancient Chinese, Chinese, Taoist, Buddhist philosophy or yogic philosophy in Indian, Ayurvedic or, or the shamans in South and Central America or the Native Americans here. You know, the indigenous folks, because they had to live within the seasons because they didn't have linear time the way we do. And the technology we have, they can forget about seasons and have AC year round or heat year round, depending on the seasons. So we, we goes back to what you said originally around comfort. Like we don't have to actually live within the natural energetic flows of the earth, day, night cycles, seasonal cycles, because our technology allows us not to do that. We have artificial light, so it doesn't matter if it's dark outside. You know, if, if it's winter, we can have eight, we have heat. If it's summer, we have AC. Now, I like AC. I like heat. I like artificial lights on occasion. I'm not saying let's get rid of that and live in a cave. However, we have to recognize the, that there are consequences for fully relying on those things and going back to what you said at the very beginning not allowing us to become uncomfortable and also recognizing the shifts in seasons energetics that we just talked about well they say soft times make weak men and weak men make hard times and hard times make good men yes i'm i'm paraphrasing but the sense of that is that cyclically you know when we are uncomfortable we grow and there is no there's no gain without pain, to quote uh, our, our brothers in the gym. You know, uh, we'll pump you up. <laughs> no pain, no gain. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of gym brothers, I I, I don't want to uh, – I, I can't not talk about this. I want to brag about your podcast. Yeah, thanks. And one of the episodes I really appreciated was uh, hosting a couple of gentlemen, uh, including the author of Recapture the Rapture. Oh, Jamie Will. Yeah. And they – yes. And uh, and uh, who was the seal? I can't remember the same. We, uh, Kurt, Kurt Cronin. Yes, Kirkon was a frogman in the same episode, and these two yeah. do training. We're not here to sell their training, but it sounds like an amazing program, so I want to make sure I do a shout-out, as also to Mark Devine. You mentioned working with Commander Mark Devine, and Mark and I are teammates. Mark was at my team back in 97, 98, briefly, so we high-fived there in, the, in our SEAL careers. Nice. But Mark's SEAL Fit and the Kokoro, those are amazing programs, and people should definitely check out SEAL Fit. It's life-changing stuff and learning good skills and behaviors and habits, just like you're talking about today. I was thinking during that episode with Kurt and Jamie, or what I heard in the episode, I'm not saying saying they said it, but there was a concept of myth. I was thinking of Joe Campbell and the power of myth and this, this avatar, like I mentioned earlier, our goals, our pursuit of growth can be based on finding and choosing an ideal and working toward it. Again, honoring the gain in our daily path and seeing how far we come, recognizing sometimes we'll be set back, but still there's a gain. Check out that gain we got over time. I love that. That's a powerful concept. I loved what that episode talked about. So how do people find your podcast? Wow, cool. <laughs> Actually, they can just put in my name in iTunes, Osterlink, O-S-T-R-O-L-E-N-K, and it'll come up. And um, I've been podcasting since 2008. I think 2006, 2008. I'm one of the guys that was on your podcast, uh, as I recall. Actually, you were on my podcast quite a few times. and I think that was the best episode or the best episodes. Uh, well, of course, because you're on it. Yeah. Uh, and if you recall, when you had your podcast originally, I was your co-producer, I guess. Or I don't co-host. That's right. Or, uh, yep. Yep. We've evolved. We've grown. Like, look at the gain. Look at the gain. Grayer hair, less hair. <laughs> There's no hair. <laughs> hey, no hair. Hey, <laughs> I was really, really pleased, really gratified. The other night I was walking from my lodge meeting back to my Jeep, carrying my leather bag and wearing a dark suit. And this kid outside of a bar called out to his buddies. He said, dude, it's Assassin's Creed. And he's like, no, seriously, it's Assassin's Creed right there. And I smiled and I walked by it and I just smiled and didn't acknowledge. And he said, look, man, he's smiling. He knows it's Assassin's Creed. <laughs> so not having hair and being dangerous is still kind of cool, too. I'd just awesome. rather have your head of hair. What do you want to leave the listener with? 
I'll say uh, a couple things, and I love what you talked about personal responsibility, and I'll say that personal responsibility, if you really take it to an existential level, is really can, can be really scary and can be very challenging because in our society, we are not grown to be self-sufficient, sovereign, autonomous human beings, which is unfortunate because if you look at our founding fathers and the, and the philosophy they espoused, they required us in order to have a republic, a constitutional republic, for us to be sovereign, autonomous human beings. And our whole education system and culture is shifting us in the opposite direction. So I would say a couple of things. One is anything you can do to reclaim your sovereignty and your autonomy, which requires you to that stimulus and response quote you gave is to learn to manage yourself. First, become aware of self, your own states and learn to manage them so you can be sovereign and not be pushed by the forces around you, whether they're people or, or environmental situations or whatever they happen to be. So you can be sovereign is the first thing. And then what we talked about kind of halfway through our conversation is like our responsibility for other people. You know, be kind, be loving, take that extra moment, that extra minute, that extra hour, that extra day to be there for your friend, your family members, your neighbor, or that stranger who might need you. Because you know this really well, especially in the military community, you know, how many people are 22 veterans or take their own lives a day? And it could just be that one conversation, that one smile, that one helping hand, not just with veterans, but, you know, suicidality is increasing all over the place, depression, anxiety, that just that one thing, that smile, that helping hand, that loving touch, whatever could really save, literally save someone from taking their life. And then you can pull back from, from suicidality, just the challenges we all face that we can, we need to come together and support each other in our community. So sovereignty and kind of a more communitarian ethic. So be mindful about taking care of yourself and taking care of others. And that's a citizen and that's a human. Yeah. That is really powerful stuff. Simple yet complex because we forget it. Somehow we manage to forget that basic functionality as a human being. Michael, thank you so much, brother. I cannot strongly enough express my appreciation for you coming on and, and helping us launch this very important message to the world. Well, thank you, Rob. This has been wonderful to be a first guest on your podcast. Congratulations on your podcast. And it's, uh, I can't wait to hear your, actually your interview with Erwan <laughs> and some of your other amazing guests that you'll be having down the road. That's going to be awesome. So let me encourage everyone listening to listen to the, all the rest of your podcast down the road and also to check out your work, Impact Actual website and your books. And you mentioned yep. a new book, a new book you're writing? ImpactActual.com and Powerful Peace. Yeah, so that's awesome. Yep. I'm working on the new one based on this concept of total self-mastery. Nice. Uh, we, I want people to have that sovereignty as you described. Awesome. Thanks, Rob. All right. Michael, thank you. And listener, thank you. And let us make a difference today. Thanks for joining us on Beyond Your Limits with Rob Dubois, the podcast that helps you destroy self-limiting beliefs, unchain your potential, and create the meaningful life you were made for. For more information about Impact Actual and the Impact Unchained course, visit impactactual.com. And be sure to subscribe on Apple iTunes or wherever you like to listen so you'll never miss a show. We'll see you next time on Beyond Your Limits with Rob Dubois.